Well, welcome to Gospel Saving Church, everybody. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us today. We're uh, so excited to be back in church for another day. Today is another beautiful day that God has given us. And if we're alive, we ought to appreciate every day, no matter what. Because you know what? Every day is a gift from God. Same as every heartbeat, same as every brainwave, same as every breath. Because you know what? We didn't do anything. We, we did nothing to work for a heartbeat. We did nothing to work for a brainwave or a breath. And yet they're all there and they're all just gifts. And they're every day. Praise God. I, anyway, I hope you didn't come to Gospel Saving Church to be entertained. I hope you're here because you wanted to be here, because you wanted to really search out and seek God's heart, and re you really wanted to learn about God. And you know, by doing this, the Bible says that this pleases God. Anytime we take time out of our lives and out of our sleep schedules and out of our personal activities and we focus on God, that that makes Him pleased and that makes Him happy. That's called seeking God. If this is your first time here, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and this is Gospel Saving Church. We're in McKinney, Texas, and this is one of God's true churches, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I would surely appreciate it, for we need God's help in understanding His Word, as we know that the Bible says only by the Holy Spirit of God can we understand the things of God. So join me, please, if you would. We thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us here. We thank you so much for this new and beautiful day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord God, for all that you do for us every single solitary day, Lord God. Wow, you do so much for us on an everyday basis, Lord God. We don't even realize, people don't even realize, Lord, they take it all for granted, Lord God. Even, even those that really love you. I'm not even talking about unbelievers here now, Lord God. We're talking about even those of us that love you. Lord, how often is it, Lord, we don't even remember, we don't even think about all the glorious good things and goodness that you bring our way every day. Lord God, because we, we either focused on serving you or, or doing this or doing that, Lord God. But right now, I just thank you because I don't want to forget right now for all the wonderful things that you do for us. Lord, we ask that you do another wonderful thing for us today, Lord God, and all those that will ever listen to this message, Lord God, till the end of time or till Christ comes back, whichever comes first. We ask, Lord God, that you would enlighten, that you would help teach, that you would help us to hear Jesus said, those who, those who have ears to hear, let them hear, Lord. Help us to hear your way here, Lord, the true words of your word today, of this message, Lord God, today, of the heart of this message today, Lord God. Help us to hear you clearly, and then, Lord, help us not only to just hear those words, but help us to let those words impact us and change us, Lord God, and so that we may do the things that your word says to do. For the word says, Lord God, your word says, be not hearers only, but be doers. So Lord, help us to understand so that we may do. God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And we ask all these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 19 through 25 today. But I'm not going to read this word or teach this section until I get to my thoughts from until I get through, excuse me, my thoughts from last week's message. When were they really born again? Acts 8, 19 through 25. Last week, we read a bunch of scripture that spoke of a group of or city of Samaritans that had turned to Christ as they heeded the words of Philip, right? For he taught them how to come to Christ, and they did. 
And the reason for the title, well, the Samaritans seem to become born again as they heed the words of Philip, so come to Christ because they start to bear the fruits of changed lives. For when someone truly turns to Christ, their life shows this decision by the things that they do, by the actions of their lives. But were these Samaritans truly saved when they heeded the words of Philip? Because later on in the section of Scripture, we read that the apostles come down so that they could lay their hands on the apostles, right? And the Scripture says that they, before the apostles came, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, after they did, verse 18 told us that the power was present because, well, that's what it tells us. The power was present, right? So we talked about there being two types of receiving the Holy Spirit, one where he comes within and one where he comes upon. So were they really saved? If you listen to this message, I would love your comments because I, I very rarely get uh, any comments on whether, you know, what people are thinking about my messages. So if you would listen to the message, if you would please post something on SoundCloud, your comments, I'd love to hear from you. But anyway... Uh, I ended the message with, with saying that no matter what your opinion you held of the time in which they were born again or not, it, it was a fact in that section of Scripture, wherever, that they got born again somewhere, somehow during that time, right? Then what I did was I always don't just look at the Scripture. I think it's important that we look at each, each ourselves, right? We have to look within. We can't just always look without we have to look within, right? So what do I do? I always ask at the end, kind of somehow, some way, God gives me a neat little way to ask. I asked you to all to examine yourselves as to whether you were born again, because unfortunately in our world today, many are deceived in thinking that they are, which makes being born again really an important and eternal event, right? Whether you're born again or not means whether you get to heaven or not. And that's really kind of how it works out. That's what the Bible says. So I'll close these thoughts from last week's message saying this. If you would say that you are truly born again, I don't want you to be deceived whether you are or not, because unfortunately the Bible warns us that even unto judgment day, people that believe themselves to be children of God now are going to even go to judgment day and profess before Christ himself that they're Christians, and even though he says that they're not, even Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So they're coming to him, Lord, Lord. And he's like, I'm not letting you in. And they believe that all the way until they got before Christ's face at judgment day. And they still thought that they were his, but then he gives them the bad news, you're not. Which means that many will go to their graves fully convinced and professing that they're truly saved and born again, but they're deceived, and he's not going to let them in. Wow. So I don't want you to be that person. And, and I don't know, and I don't want you, and I want you to know if A, you really are, or B, if you're really not. So how do you know both ways? Well, if not, if you're really not, and you have to examine yourself now, if you're really not, then from the time when you you know, would you say you weren't to the time that you were? The Bible says that you're going to have differences in how you act and how you live. That's what the Bible says. You're going to be a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if you're not, your things that you look at life, like how you look at life and things like sin and holiness, well, they're not really going to matter to you. Well, you know, everybody's a sinner. 
you know, doesn't matter whether we sin or not. I mean, God loves us, right? Because we're all just sinners. And if you have that kind of attitude, chances are you're not saved. Because the Bible says once you do get saved, you kind of live toward holiness and not toward sinfulness. And you don't really put, if you're not saved, any importance on living a holy life or living like God or living like Christ or living godliness at all if you're not saved. But, but yet you still may say, oh, I love Jesus and oh, well, God is good and oh, praise God. But yet, understand, you will have no God living within you if you're not really born again. So your attitude towards sin will be kind of just, oh, well, you know, I, I sin, so what? And then the Bible says that you've not been changed. Because the Bible says if you've got God living within you, you can't but help to be different. You can't but help to be changed. You can't but help to love righteousness and hate sin. So that's the big key. If you're not, well, if you are, uh, once you've been born again, you will have a changed life. And you'll have an awesome hard attitude towards God and Christ. And you cannot but live life differently towards God and Christ. Uh, about your ways and lifestyle, living them toward God. Godliness will increase daily in your life. Actions and even motives of sin will decrease in your life if you're truly saved. And you'll put an importance on following Jesus Christ and doing the things that he told you to do. This is what you'll do. It'll just kind of come natural in a sense. If you sin, there'll be something called conviction. It's, it's not condemnation when you, when you, if you do something wrong, oh, you're going to hell if you're doing nothing wrong. No, it's conviction. If, you, if you're really saved, you'll have what's called conviction. This comes by God's Holy Spirit living within you. And, and, and when you sin or if you sin, you'll be mentally and inwardly tormented in a sense, uh, feeling like there's gravel in your mouth, feeling terrible when you sin. S same as if you've really wronged your wife or friend or your family member. And, and what's going to have to happen you won't be able not, you'll have to apologize to God because you know that you, you, your sin offended him. And so just like if you do something wrong against your wife or your kid or your best friend or something, you'll have to say, I'm sorry, you know, for what I did. And now help me not to do that anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to live that way anymore. Your desire will be not to do that thing again and to live in a way that pleases them, in a way that they love right? And, and, and that sin that you do, it'll become less and less and less and less, and eventually it'll cease. It'll just simply stop. You'll just stop sinning that sin because you just won't be able to bear sinning that sin anymore because you, you've now been born again, and now you love Jesus, and so you're trying to live for God. You won't be able to do things like watch dirty or, or, or X-rated movies anymore. You, you won't be able to use profanity anymore or listen to music that doesn't glorify God and that has profanity in it anymore. You'll have to stop living and cheating people. You won't want to cheat people anymore. You'll want to be honest now. You'll want to be righteous, right? You will submit to loving and forgiving and praying for people even when they've done terrible things to you. You will desire the things of God, i.e. you'll desire reading your Bible. You'll desire to pray, to go to church, to fellowship with other truly saved and holy people that care about God and that want to talk to God about you or, you know, with you about God, right? These are just, just to name a few. These are just things that you can look at and say, am I really saved? Do, do I really like that? This is what the Bible says. This is what the changes that happened to the people that got saved in the Bible. These are the things, and most of them, of course, they didn't have, you know, the kind of TV that we have today and all that stuff, but most of these things that I named off today are things that we saw changes happen to people in the Bible once they truly were saved. And the kicker of it all, here's the, here's the biggest kicker. 
And here's how you'll really, really, really know, well, am I really saved or am I, as like a couple weeks ago, how we talked about a week or two weeks ago, how we talked about, you know, having the power of God or, or having the image of God, but not having God's power, right? The kicker of it all, you'll, you won't do any one of these things I mentioned because you're trying to earn God's love, right? You won't have a form of godliness denying his power. You'll do these things because you are loved by God, because you have been forgiven, because you are saved. It'll just be a natural result of what'll happen when you start your car, when you turn the key in and you turn the ignition, the engine automatically turns on. These things will automatically start to happen in your life. You won't try to do them so that you could earn God's favor. There's a big difference between living religiously because I want to be saved or living religiously because I am saved. One is death and one is life, right? So please today examine yourself to see which lifestyle describes you. If you realize that you do not have a changed life, including uh, you having the few changes I mentioned above, then please repent today. Please truly turn to Christ and submit your life to Christ. Truly, please, you know, give your heart to him. He's waiting for you. He, he desires you to come to him. He desires that you have true fellowship with him. He desires that you accept his offer of eternal life instead of running away from him. Praise God. All right, well, let's get into our new sermon for today, shall we? Interesting title that God just gave me just uh, yesterday or the day before. I believe it was yesterday, just, just Saturday. As I was praying about, I had already actually had a title. I already saw the sermon and I had, yeah, that's the title. And, and usually what I do is off the, off the sermon, I make the title and then the sermon will kind of have that theme all the way through it, kind of whatever the title is. Well, I had to go back and kind of change a little bit of, the, just a little bit of the theme through the, through the section of scripture, through the section of scripture in my teaching because God gave me a new title. I love it. It's awesome. I hope you're excited. And it's this, here's the title. Let all that you do be done with love. Let all that you do be done with love. So if you read Acts 8, chapter, or verses 19 through 25 with me, please, we're going to study the scriptures now and see what God has to say to us today. Chapter 8, verse 19, I will begin. Saying, kind of I know it breaks in a, in a middle of an of, of idea there, but it's, it's for a purpose. I didn't want to go back, waste too much time for more important stuff. Saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound with iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Wow. That's an interesting section of scripture. So we closed last week's message with Simon offering the apostles money because he saw them lay their hands upon all the people. 
him being one of them, right? Verse 17, as they all received the Holy Spirit. So we all know, we know that they all, they all received the Holy Spirit. They all heeded the words of, of Philip. So we know they all were born again. Well, today, even though we jumped in right in the middle of an idea, right in the middle of a saying, it's okay, there's a reason. Today we read of the reason he offered them money. Verse 19, he said, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You see, he wanted to buy the ability that God had given his apostles of being able to lay their hands on people and have the Holy Spirit come into them and the power of the Holy Spirit come into them. And this is what he wanted to do. It's pretty heinous sin. Uh, like it was even their ability to begin with, though, at all, right? It, it's really God's ability and their obedience to do the action of laying their hands upon these people and God working through them, right? It, people of God are just vessels, of God, in case you didn't know that. We're, no power originates through us. We have no power in and of ourselves. God says do this. Our obedience, God sees our obedience, works through us and does these supernatural miracles, fills people with the Holy Spirit, and this is what Simon wanted. He completely misunderstood it, but, but we can't be too hard on him, right? We can't be too hard on him. I mean, it's real easy to see him and look at this section and go, oh, Simon, oh my gosh, heathen. But, it's, but really, after all, what he, what he was, if we look at Scripture, um, just think. He was just born again. He had just gotten saved. He was a babe in Christ. I mean, literally, right before he asked this, he, maybe it was a day, maybe it was a week, but he was a babe in Christ. Well, we look at Simon and go, oh, how heinous of a sin. But he, he was so new. I mean, now, had he been in the Lord 20 years or even two years or three years, and he said something like this, we could really get out the whip, and we could go, man, I wonder if this guy was really even saved. How could he be saved two, three, four, five, tw 10, 20 years and ask this thing? Because he ought to know that by now. But Simon here is just a babe. And we see him, just after he becomes a born-again believer, we see him committing a very heinous Sin, very heinous sin against God. Again, of trying to buy the power of God's Holy Spirit to lay on people's hands. Terrible and heinous sin, and I'm not going to deny that. It was a very bad sin. But look at Peter's response. And see in Peter's response if you see love in his response. Because our title, right, to let all things be done with love, right? Verses 20 through 23, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you. I don't see any love there. Not for a babe in Christ now. I see no love there. Because you thought that, you, that, you, that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Simon, sit down and shut up. You don't even know what you're saying. You're, you're totally in sin for... Your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness. Ouch. Ouch. And pray, God, perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. In uh, a way it sounds there, Peter's kind of like, I don't know if God's going to forgive you, but, you know, you can kind of try to pray. At least that's the way it seems from my perspective, the way I read it, you know, coming from where I come from. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. Wow. Those are harsh words for a man that's been saved like a whole week 
Maybe, right? Basically, I see Peter, it seems to me that Peter basically punches this guy in the face with his response, right? I mean, where's the, again, do all things, do all that you do in love, or do all things in love toward others, right? Where is that? How Peter responds to Simon here, I hate to say this now, because this is going to be like a little, you know, this is going to be like a little, I'm going to get a little, get a little, uh, thorn up in your skin. I'm going to get a little thorn up in your nail here. You know, like when you get a thorn, you know, after you're handling wood and a little thorn goes in your skin here. I'm going to give you another one here that I, I don't, it doesn't seem like there's much love here. Well, it, this section reminds me uh, how Peter responds to Simon here reminds me of the time in Matthew 16 when Jesus is telling his disciples of the things he's about to go through. You know, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things by the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Matthew 16, 21, Jesus talking to his disciples. And remember, as the account reads on, Peter doesn't like him saying these things about himself, right? And Peter's like, oh my gosh, no, that's not going to happen. So what does he do? He pulls him aside and he rebukes the master. Now think about it. Now, I mean, this again now. This is a heinous sin. He rebukes the Lord of glory. You can't say those. Don't say those things about you. He tells the master what to do. Ouch. Right? The sustainer of all creation. Think of it. I, I mean, I can't even imagine what I know now about God. I can't even Lord, you can't do that. I mean, I, I'd expect a lightning bolt. Right? I'm, but I've been saved now for like almost 20 years, right? But now <laughs> Peter rebukes him for saying these things about himself. Peter responds with, and, and then Jesus, excuse me, responds with one of the most famous, but sad, and I hate to say it, but seemingly unloving statement in all the Bible. Verse 23, get behind me, Satan. Ooh, ouch. I don't really see, from my perspective, a lot of love there. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That all the things you do, be done in love? Was Jesus really being loving to Simon Peter here? It, it's debatable. Now, on a scale between 1 to 10 of both what Peter and Simon did in their offenses toward God and his Holy Spirit, with 1 being nah, not so bad and 10 being terrible, heinous, awful, you know, monstrous, all that, I'd say that what they both did would be a 10. Uh, there's no... What they said to one to Peter, one to Peter, one to Jesus, they'd be they'd get a ten. Their sins are pretty evil. But even though they get a ten on the evil heinous scale for what they said and did, I'd also like to remind you that they were both babes in Christ. Peter hadn't been following Jesus for that long, and he wasn't at this time born again. He wasn't born again till almost the end of Jesus. Well, actually, we just talked about it last week. Peter and the disciples weren't born again until after Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead and after he kind of came back and he stayed with them for 40 days. And he breathed on them and said, hey, receive the Holy Spirit. So they were just babes in Christ when they committed their offense and they really didn't know better at the time of their offense. A very good saying applies here. A very good saying. A brother of mine says it all the time. I love the saying. We're only accountable for the light that we have. You see, and really at the time of what Peter and Simon did, they were both babes in Christ and children in their faith and understanding of God in Christ. And they just simply didn't have the light of their actions being sin just yet. 
Now, they both received that light through Christ and Peter, but they got it very boldly, very harshly, and very brash. But at the time of their offense, they were both in the dark, really, on the matters of which they sinned in, right? Now, looking at the methods of how both Christ Jesus and Peter, and, you know, how Christ gave to Peter and how Peter gave to Simon that light, we must examine whether or not Jesus Christ and Peter and Peter with Simon were really doing what they did and what they said in love. Because that's important, right? Did Jesus Christ and did Peter do what they did in love? Because both Jesus Christ and Peter seem to punch their new converts in the face with their responses, and they, and they don't really seem to be loving to me. Seem, that's a big word there, they don't really seem to be loving to me at all. I don't know about you. And the question of today, well, I'll even make this statement today. Should a soldier Christian, you know, a solid Christian, an elder Christian, a pastor, respond like this? Think about it from your perspective. Just, just think about it in your worldview and your who you are, right? In this country you live in of America and other countries you live in all over the world, because I know this broadcast reaches to the whole world. Think if you'd treat a babe in Christ the way, you know, one that God puts onto you, think if you'd treat them and say those things to babes in Christ in these seemingly unloving ways. I say that an elder, a pastor should never, I, I could not, somebody that saved a, a few weeks, get behind me, Satan. I, I could never, oh my gosh, I'd be like, oh my, I'd expect them to run out the door. They, they just they would, just wouldn't take it. <laughs> they would just not, they would not take it. And, and really, it'd make them stumble, right? And what did Jesus say about making a young believer stumble? Matthew 18, 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's what Jesus said. And the way it seems to me here, both Jesus Christ and Peter respond to their young followers, it seems like it could have really easily caused them to stumble and caused them to sin. So I say, all earnest elder Christians and pastors need to be careful how they treat their younger brothers and sisters in Christ. I really do. I would even go as far as to say this today. If someone of Peter's and Simon's age in Christ sinned the way they did in front of a solid Christian or pastor with the light the elder Christian had of what the Bible, of what they did, of what the babe did being sin. Like, okay, so you've been saved 20 years. You've been saved 10 years. But, but then somebody just gets saved and then you know that they sin and you see their sin right in front of them that you should never ever, ever respond to them the ways that Jesus Christ did with Peter and the way Peter did with Simon, the way that they seemed to respond to them, right? Now, now, am I saying that what Jesus Christ said to Peter in his offense was wrong and ungodly? And am I saying that what Peter said to Simon for his offense was wrong and ungodly? Uh, no, I'm not saying that 100%, but it, it sure does seem that they were both unloving with their new converts. I mean, to me it does. I don't, I don't know about you. Now, the Bible does say that Jesus Christ never sinned. They never committed any iniquity. He never committed any falsehood, never did anything ungodly, that he was the spotless, sinless, perfect Lamb of God and never ever sinned once. But were he and Peter, to their understudies, were they unloving in the scriptures that we've studied today? Because this is important. Is there a contradiction in the Bible? That's important because if the Bible has contradictions, we ought to be warned, right? I, I, I'm not saying that there is. I'm just saying that that is what it seems like. Well, I'll tell you this. I, will, I would not, and I'll add now, no matter what, say that any solid Christian, I'll say I repeat again, should never treat a babe 
in Christ the way that Peter treated Simon Peter and Peter treated Simon the understudy. And this should bother you. If you really love Jesus right now, this should bother you by me saying this. I told you I was going to put a little, a little, a little like, uh, you know, a little splint under your, under your skin, right? Like you get a splinter, right? I told you that. So th- this should bother you and that's good. And I, I want to raise up your emotions because it's, 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 a, it's, a it's, it's a good point. I'm trying to make a big point here. This should bother you because Matthew 16, 25 says that Jesus said, anyone that wants to follow me must, or follow after me must follow me, right? That means that those that are following Christ, those that want to follow Christ, should follow him. Do the things which he said to do. And in a sense, be imitators of him. This is what a true Christian is, imitating Christ. And didn't John say in 1 John 2, 6, he who says he abides in him often himself walk, just as Jesus walked. I mean, this is, this is Christ's apostles, right? He, they said that if you're a real Christian, your life should imitate what Christ did. Uh, these scriptures are plain and, and simple. They're absolutely positive. So why would I say that I would never recommend an older, solid Christian respond to a babe in Christ the way it seemingly that Jesus Christ responded to Peter and how Simon Peter responded to, to Simon. And, I, and yet I tell you that the Bible says you're supposed to follow Christ and do the things that he did. But I tell you that you shouldn't do the things that he seemingly did with their understudies. I, am I false? Am, am I a wicked teacher? Am I, you know, well, you got to be the judge when I explain the why to you. Because there's a very, very, very good why. I'm about to take out the splinter here in just a moment. But Simple answer to why that we should never respond to a new convert the way Christ did with Peter and Peter did with Simon in seemingly unloving ways is just one word, simple word. It's called culture or society. It's called culture or society. Now hold hold on. Now maybe you got another splinter, right? Maybe you did. If I got any true Bible students out there, you may be saying, Ed, I don't know if I call you pastor anymore because I think that you're telling us that because of cultural changes, we're not supposed to follow the words of the Bible. That's a good eye. But please understand, that's not what I'm saying. There is a movement today. There is a wicked movement today, that's for sure, that teaches that culture is what's relevant. And the Bible, well, you know, we got to see the Bible through our culture. Meaning, the Bible and its teachings are not relevant so that we can make void the teachings of the Bible, make void the things of the Bible, and not obey them because society and culture have different standards. But again, please. That's not what I'm saying at all. I believe that the Bible is a recording of the words of God. And he and his words are always relevant and will always be relevant until the end of time. For he is unchanging and the source of all truth. And his word is to be followed above everything and anything else. No exceptions. This is what I believe. Not No matter what culture says, no matter the changes, no matter what happens. You see, culture and society changes and standards. They change like the blowing of the wind. Wind blows one way, wind blows another way. That's how the cultural and that's how societal standards, that's how they change. And uh, they really are a sinking ship, for sure. They're not relevant over God's word of the Bible, and they're not now or will ever be the standard of truth that anybody should live by because those standards of truth are always changing. You just can't, that's just not, what, That's how can that be truth? Truth never changes. Truth is truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is truth, right? This evil movement teaches things like homosexuality uh, in, in the church, 
<laughs> even now, being, being people being pastors, uh, women being pastors over men, even that traditional church like we have today is wrong. So homosexuality, homosexuality and even people ahead of the church's homosexuality, that's okay. And women pastors of the church, well, that's all right. You know, oh, well, you know, hey, we're relative now. We're in our, this is our society. It's changed, right? And, and you know what? We don't have to have church. Church, yeah, you, yeah, you see church. That was how, you know, the Bible doesn't ever say people have to go to church. You know, you see, you got it all wrong. But the church is just the body of Christ, you know, all throughout the whole world. We don't have to get together and have a leader and have an elder and have, a, you know, a real church. And church is not a building. You know, you may hear all these things. But all I have to say to those things is, that's not what the Bible says, and I'll make the big buzzer. That's not what the Bible says. Bible says that homosexuality, same as lying, same as cheating, same as fornication, it's a sin, and that all who practice such things are on their way to hell. That's just what the Bible says. Bible says that men are the authority in their families, in church, the men are the heads of the household, men are the heads of the churches, and that women are supposed to be submissive to their husbands. And this is what the Bible says. This is not mine. This is not mine. Don't, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And the Bible says that if you love God, you have church, and church is a real place that you meet and that you get together and that you fellowship and that you have a leader, and that this is what church is, right? And this is what I say. So I'm not saying that culture and society are how we look at the Bible, but I am saying culture and society will remove that splinter from under our skin as to the seemingly unloving ways that Peter well, Jesus was with Peter and Peter was with Simon. So up until now, I've given you a great deal how I believe that the Bible and, and God's teachings in it are, the, are all relative for our world now and will be until the end of time. And how God and his word are the standard for truth and morality now and will be until the end of time. Yet I also said a little bit ago that I would not talk to or recommend any solid Christian teaching a, a young follower a babe in Christ and rebuking them the seemingly unloving ways that Jesus did with Peter and Peter did with Simon. And again, that, that should have bothered you. So am I speaking out of two sides of my mouth? Am I trying to deceive you with slick words? No, and let me tell you why. Well, what I'm going to say now is kind of going to make your head spin. But it's all biblically and culturally true, and not in a cultural, like we don't listen to the Bible, just talking about cultural ways. I'll start by saying this. They're both true. No, a solid Christian pastor should never treat a young babe of Christ the, the way Jesus Christ seemingly treated Peter and the way Peter seemingly treated Simon. But I would also say that Christ didn't sin in that either. There was no sin by him. Peter wasn't wrong. Jesus Christ wasn't wrong. And they didn't do anything wrong. You see, to probably most in the world, especially to us in America, the way we live with one another in our society and culture, it seems it, as if Jesus Christ really slams Peter harshly and unlovingly, slapping him in the face with the get behind me, Satan, and you're an offense to me, and with what Peter says to Simon here, right? You, you know, your money perish with you. Repent. You're evil. You're, a, you're, you're cut off from God. But they were not unloving at all, and they were not, they were not being harsh really at all. You see... In the Jewish culture and society, the way that Jesus Christ responded to Peter and the way that Peter responded to Simon after their super heinous sins was not super offensive or unloving to them at all. It really, I know it's hard to believe, but in their society, in their culture, it was just a simple rebuke. 
And it wasn't unloving at all. Ones that weren't taken by the other to mean any evil at all, and believe it or not, but I doubt it that either Peter or Simon were offended by what was said to them at all, by their teachers. Now, I know the things I said <laughs> might have you think, I mean, this guy's lost his marbles. There's no way, there's no way that, get behind me, Satan. I don't care what you're, there's no way, get behind me, Satan, and, and repent, you sinner. You're wicked in the sight of God. How can that be, you know, not be considered unloving? But if I'm speaking to most people in the world, you may think I've lost my marbles. Unless you're listening to me, from Israel, unless you're listening to me and you're Jewish. Uh, God led me to do some interesting website work, some interesting investigation into the culture and society of Israelites, of the Jews of today and the Jews of yesterday. The first and only website I'm going to read is a website that, <clears throat> excuse me, the name of it is called Aliyah, I don't speak Hebrew, but I know it's a Hebrew word, it's got to be, <clears throat> Aliyah preparation. And really what they were doing is they were given an overview and even some recommendations on if you were traveling to Israel for business and you were going to go over there to work and you were like, well, you know, what am I getting into? Well, you, you ought to go to Aliyah preparation because they're going to, they're, they're going to, what they're going to say about the Jewish culture is going to make your head flip around 20 times and you're going to be like, wow, because they, <laughs> they, want to, they want to make it so where if you're going there for business or you're going there for travel, your head's not completely spin around and you don't run for your very life when you go there because one thing that they point out here, and you'll see as I read their little tips on what to watch out for as you're there, is that their culture is like night and day from ours. And not, I'm not talking about a biblical culture. That's all, also different too. But the way they interact with one another at their core, all the way going back to David and all the way going back to Abraham is completely and utterly way different than our culture of today. This is the first. They give about, they give more, but I kind of only picked out the ones that kind of pertain because I don't want to be here for three hours doing the sermon. But just look at this first aspect and tell me if you don't see exactly what I'm talking about here with, Pete, with Jesus and Peter and Peter and Simon. They say, if you're going to Israel and you're going to go there, one aspect of Israeli communication is their tendency to be very expressive. That's, that's a little, you hear that and you're like, okay, well, I mean, Italians are kind of expressive too. You know, we talk with our hands. I'm Italian, you know, right? But check this out. A friendly discussion can quickly develop into a passionate verbal exchange with, parti with participants shouting and waving their arms in the air. That sounds a bit more, you know, like we don't really see that here in America too much. These unaccustomed to Israeli expressiveness would be forgiving or would be forgiven for running for cover. This is what the website's saying. If you see this and you get away, they'll be like, oh, it's all right. He's new here. <laughs> we understand. <laughs> or expecting, here's what else that they said. We could also be forgiven for expecting a punch out to break out in any second well, during their discussions. We literally, like as you're watching them discuss, you would expect them to start throwing blows. This is what, this is what they're saying. Be warned if you're going to Israel, this is what you're going to see. I, I'm not making this stuff up. They literally wrote this to be warned foreigners that they were going there. Now think now, think back to Peter. Think back to Jesus. Think of what they just said. And now think of what I just read, right? Now, now listen, in reality, this, and it, gets, it gets way more wild. I put some of this stuff in here just to be like, wow, I was blown away by it. 
In reality, they say, it is extremely rare for arguments to turn into physical fights, and more often that they not end in smiles and friendly slaps on the back, because guess what? Well, I'll, I'll stop there. They may get that way, but that's what that's how they act with one another. And in the end, they all know, hey, that's just the way it is. Hey, man, I love you, brother. That's just, it's it, right? It's often said that arguing is an is Israelis' favorite pastime. Though this might not, this may be a slight exaggeration, Israelis do value greatly the open expression of opinion. Hey, if you have something to say, say it. They don't care what you have to say, say it. Unlike the English, they warn us now, they tell us, hey, here's how you are. Unlike the English who tend to keep their emotions reserved and often avoid sharing an opinion that would create conflict, Israelis greatly and generally enjoy a good discussion and will happily join in, even with complete strangers. And it doesn't matter how little they know about you. They'll just jump in. Oh, they don't even know what you're talking about. They'll just jump right into your conversation. Here in America, most of the world, we'd be like, Excuse me? This is an A and B conversation. You can see your way out, right? That's <laughs> how we'd be here, right? Second, this, this one blows me away. Israelis' nonverbal communication, their speech patterns, their volume, has also has its own cultural distinctiveness. Anglo-Saxon cultures generally have a preference for conversing using parallel speech. One person speaks, and when he or she finishes, the next person starts, and when they finish, someone else continues on, etc., Israelis tend to demonstrate overlapping speech patterns where one person speaks and before they have finished, another person starts in and so on and so forth. It's far from uncommon to observe discussions in Israel where everyone appears to be talking at the same time. Where many cultures may have a, be sensitive to interruptions and consider them rude, in Israel, interruptions are quite normal. This is, that's just how they do it. Hey, I, um, you know, and then who, who can even hear each other? I don't even know, but this is, this is what they do. This is, if you go to Israel, this is what you could expect. Third, in relation to volume, visitors to Israel often comment that Israelis talk loudly. And when two parties are standing far apart, it's quite normal for Israelis to shout from a distance. Listen, whether it's across a busy street, a crowded bus, or even an office full of working people. Rather than moving closer and talking quietly, this trait, however, relates as much to the cultural perimeter for personal boundaries as it does for communication and style. Now, this is kind of this is kind of a fun one here, right? This is this the next two here. Number four, they get right in your business. They ask personal, intrusive questions. It's not uncommon you get in a cab to go somewhere in Israel. <clears throat> oh yeah, how's it going? How much money do you make? Oh, what? Yeah, they'll ask. Oh, are you married? Well, well, no. Why not? Um, this is the kind of things that they're saying you're going to get when you go to Israel. Uh, in many perspectives, Israelis treat everyone as if they're family. And personal questions are viewed as being friendly. Wow, here, we, man, we don't, we, we, how's the weather? You know, oh, well, you know, where are you going? You know, very general, very broad, because we're just so closed here, right? But they're not. They're very open. He says here, showing interest or just making conversation, nothing more, nothing less is all that they mean by doing what they're doing. Personal contact. Here's another favorite of mine. This is the best one. You, this, <laughs> I was reading this and I was like, are you kidding me? In a grocery store line, it's not uncommon to, as you're shopping, to turn right around and the next person will be literally two inches from your face. Yeah, that's what they said. That right behind you in your face. 
Woo! This next one's like way outside my comfort zone. In clothing stores. Yeah, you like to go in there and you lock the door and then, yeah, you know, you change your clothes and then you may, you know, you may go out in clothing stores there while in the dressing room. The attendant will just come in unannounced and then they'll help you with, put on your outfit. So you may be stark naked. Oh, oh, let me help you with that zipper. What? Get out of here. You gotta be kidding me, right? And if you step out, it's not uncommon to find someone in your room changing when you come back with all your stuff sitting right there on the bench. They just walk right in and they'll start changing and they'll start doing it right where you are. Wow. Wow. To me, this is like, my head is exploding here, right? This website also explains of, of all these Israeli shocking ways, they give you some pointers so that if you, after knowing all this, still brave to go to Israel, right? Like, no, no, I'm still going to go. You know, I just want to see. They give you some tips as to how to communicate and interact with the Jews once you're there successfully. Uh, be more direct. Don't wait to be asked. Clearly communicate your needs and interests. Be assertive, which doesn't equate with being aggressive here if you're assertive people are like he's beating me up you know you can't even hurt if there be assertive if you want something you get it you ask for it don't be shy and if you have a reasonable request express it plainly and don't apologize just ask i need the no matter just just ask right and that's that's a novel idea i love their culture i really do i, I love it Maybe not the going into the dressing room when I'm changing when it helped me with my outfit, but I, I, do love, I do love the rest. Be more expressive. If you want someone to understand how you feel, now think about Jesus Christ and Peter and Peter and Simon here. Do not be afraid to show your emotions. Whatever the message, and he points this out, whatever the message, approval, disapproval, desire, or disgust, let them know openly avoid using subtle hints or suggestions you know here it's famous well you know brother you you may wanna eh. there brother get right or get left oh yeah i got you man got you that's how they do things uh don't be intimidated by expressive reactions. Israelis, Israelis may shout about something emotional one minute and have forgotten about it the next. Avoid worrying too much about arguments or taking them too much to heart. Now, <laughs> after all of that, do you understand why the whole sermon I now kept saying, I kept saying that if it's, that is, it seemed like Jesus Christ and Peter were being overly harsh and unloving in their rebukes to their babe in Christ. It seemed like it, what? To us in America and probably to most people in the world. And now you understand why I kept saying that any elder or seasoned solid Christian should never respond to a young babe in Christ the way Jesus Christ seemingly did with Peter and the way Peter seemingly did with uh, Simon because unless you're in Israel, you wouldn't have understood what I meant. Because in Israel, that's just the normal. They're seemingly over-harsh, brutal, and seemingly to us unloving rebukes of these new converts and babes in Christ were really nothing more than them just being the way that they normally communicate with one another on an everyday basis. 
That's just the way they are. And when you're there, you, you grow up there, and Samaritans, they had a Jewish culture. They were offshoots from the Jews. They all had this culture, and really, they weren't being overly harsh, brutal, or unloving at all with these babes in Christ at all. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing to me, because for years, I'd look at the Scripture going, Wow, I can't believe that he talked to this, this child in Christ like this, but now after I did the sermon, I kind of got it. Right? Do, do you see now, and after we've tested this idea I mentioned earlier, that Jesus Christ never sinned with Peter by being unloving in his rebuke, but yet how we today, especially in America, should not rebuke a baby Christ the way it seemingly that Peter did with, uh, or with Jesus Christ with Peter and Peter with Simon. We shouldn't, because here in America, we have a different way we approach people, right? Seemingly to us in America, and probably a majority of the cultures in the world, how Jesus Christ rebuked Peter and Peter Simon, if we did the same way that we seem to read today, the way we interact with one another today in our cultures, it would be too harsh. It would be too brutal. It would be too unloving and really too evil to treat a babe in Christ this way for a sin that they didn't even know that they sinned. I mean, I understand I, if they were 20 years in Christ and they did a heinous sin, well, yeah, hey, get behind me, Satan, dude, you are wrong. You, you know, but, but somebody that was a new babe, you should never, they don't even have that light yet. With all that said, here's how we test, right? Let's look at Peter's rebuke of Simon again and Simon's response to see if Simon really took it the Jew, like the Jewish website told us about, right? Like, oh, it's just their everyday, it's how they act, right? Look at Peter's response now to Simon's sin, verses 20 through 23, and then I'm going to point some things out and then we'll look at Simon's response, right? He says... Probably loudly, too. I mean, I can imagine that they're in a group of people. You know, he had just laid their hands up. He probably was very loud, and he probably did it in front of everybody, which, again, this is what they said is normal there. Here in America, we think what, what's, what's culturally, you know, taboo for us in America, it, that's culturally taboo. What's, what's normal would be to like, hey, man, can, I, can you come over here and I talk to you? And then kind of go alone together and be like, man, you know, what you did is, you know, I understand what you thought, but but them, <laughs> he probably did this in front of the whole village, right in the middle of everybody. He was like, dude, your money perish with you, right? Because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money, you heathen, right? You neither have part nor matter, portion in this matter. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. You're an evil, wicked sinner. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and pray if God, perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. You cut yourself off from God, didn't you know? Maybe God might forgive you. This is how we might view it, right? Now keep in mind the Jewish culture to see how Peter rebuked. Peter told him, number one, what I see, I see it all. After I did the study, Peter told him straightforward of his sin. He didn't hold back, but that's how they do it there. Some straightforward, probably, again, very loudly, right in his face. And then he gave him the fix. It's just a simple fix. He told him what he did wrong and what he said. Repent. Don't do it again. Turn away from it. You know, turn away from it. And remember, in their culture, this wasn't hit is how they are expected to talk to one another. It's just not what they think is normal. And that would be daily and in every aspect of their lives with one another. And, and look, at, look at Simon's response. This is the kicker. I love Simon's response because I never really understood it. For years, I read the Bible. I never understood it. And Simon said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Peter never even said anything was going to come upon him. 
I'm like, what is, what is Simon saying here? What I see, Simon's response, from, from what I see now, from what I know, Simon's response, the acceptance, he, accept, he accepted the fact that he sinned. Yeah, I know, okay, I got it. But he wasn't devastated, he wasn't crushed, he wasn't offended by what Peter said, at least I don't read it to be. And, and the way I read it, he only responds with, with what I kind of I'd expect somebody in America to say if we approach them in our way. He says, man, pray for me, brother. Yeah, because you know what? I, I don't want to have that heart condition before God. I want to be right before God. That, that's all I read Simon say. Simon's not like, oh, woe is me. Oh, I'm cut off from God forever. Oh, no, I'm done. He, Simon doesn't say that. But Peter's response, that's how I'd re- If somebody said that to me here in America, I'd think, oh, my gosh, I, I better just, you know, Just go be a heathen again because there's no way I'm even saved. But that's not how Simon took it. Uh, it, It's uh, it's amazing to me how the Jewish culture and our our culture, not in following the Bible or not following the Bible, it's amazing to me how the Jewish culture and other cultures in the world differ because I just see a completely different, uh, you know, way that they do things and, and the way that they interact with one another. I actually like it. I actually wish, I actually, I was, thinking, I was kind of talking to God as I was preparing the sermon, and I was like, Lord, I wish it was more like this in America. I wish we wouldn't have to be so timid and so shy and so around about and so hinting at one another. I wish that if, if I did something wrong, I don't want somebody to look at me and go, oh, he sinned, and then not say nothing to me about it. If, some, if I sinned, I want somebody to go, dude, what are you doing? That's sin. You ought to not be doing that if you love God. Well, that's the way they did it here, and that's what I just love about their culture. I, again, I don't know if I'd like people coming into the dressing room when I'm changing and all that and changing around my stuff, but I guess, you know, to get some, you got to get the other, right? But look at our last verse of the day, verse 25. Like no terrible or heinous or earth-shaking or horribly unloving rebuke or tear down of the babe of Christ ever happened, because it didn't. Look at verse 25, our last verse. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages in Samaritans. So when they testified and preached the word of the Lord, where was the altercation with Simon? Well, what did the overview say if you're going there? Hey, it's not uncommon to see an arguing and all out one moment, and then the next moment it's all gone. And then try not to be too offended at what was said. Also, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, Simon wasn't even an issue. He, he was all gone. That, that issue was not even an issue. And it, Scripture shows that it wasn't even an issue because Peter turned right from him and they hugged one another and slapped each other on the back. And Simon's like, got it, man. And then what did he do? <laughs> they go about their business. They go about what God called them to do. They go preaching the word of God. Uh, Simon sat submissively under the elders, uh, under the elder apostles and listened to them with anticipation as they taught the ways of Jesus Christ. He was like, all right, I got it. All right, I got it. Hey, what, what do you got to tell me? Because it says they preached the word. Simon was there. They preached the word to Simon, right? And, and, and the apostles, well, they went and finished their work. On their way back, they preached through many Samaritan villages, and then they went home, and then that was the end of the story. All was forgiven because, guess what? There was no reason to forgive anyone because no one had offended anyone. Because all that Peter said to Simon was that all done in love. The same as Scripture says, to all that we do, let all that you do be done with love. Now, it wasn't loving in our culture the way they said it. It probably wasn't loving if you're probably from most of the cultures in the world, because Israelis kind of have a strange culture. 
But in their culture, what they did was done in love. Their actions toward one another were all loving. Jesus Christ didn't sin. It was the way they were. But anybody that's outside of their culture should never treat anybody and say the things right off the things the way they said them. Pretty funny how cultural norms of one race of people are way different than other races of people, isn't it? I love God's Word, though. It's so powerful. And I especially love when there seems like something, oh, man, what is that? I especially love it when I go digging and I find these little gold nuggets of truth that come up like we did today in our text. Praise God for light. Uh, but I, want, I hope that you took many things away from the message. But the most important ideas that I talked about today, I, I really hope you, you'll take home. I really hope that you'll let them stick with you. Number one, there's only two main ones. There's, there's more, and if you got them in your brain, praise God, and he brings them back to you. But there's two that I really hope stick with you for the rest of your life. Number one, society doesn't rule over the Bible. Just because society may say, oh, we don't do that stuff the way the Bible says do it, or we don't have church like the Bible, or we don't, you know, we, Bible says, you know, that's that, and the other, doesn't mean that we just say no. You know, that's it. You know, we just don't do what the Bible says. We do what society says now. Remember, society is, a sh- is, is like a blowing of the wind. They're just whew, random. They, they change and they, they go as they will. But the Bible, it's God Almighty and He's eternal and He's forever. And that's just the way it is. And we follow the Bible. If you love God and you say you love the Lord and you follow what the words of the Bible said. Now, Tying that into our the, the last thing I hope that you really, really, really keep with you forever is just because we can't say we shouldn't say to somebody if we're an elder Christian, get behind me, Satan, to a young babe in Christ, doesn't mean that because our culture is different than Israeli, doesn't mean we still don't tell them the truth of what they did. That's what I what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying the second thing here is here, make sure, elder brothers and sisters of Christ, you don't treat a young babe with the same way they, they seem to do it because we don't do that in the majority of the world. I, I'm not saying don't give them the truth. Give them the truth. Always give people the truth of what they're doing in the Bible. But do it according to what you're normally, how you normally act to people in your country that you live in. If acting normally in your country is, hey man, can I see you over here? And you walk to the side and then you're like, hey dude, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I love you. And, and, but you know what, what you said? Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't tell the Lord of glory that he shouldn't do that. We don't, we don't rebuke God. Okay, that's just not something we do. That would be some way when I do it in a loving way here in America. Notice that I still got my point across. But I didn't do it in a way that's like here in America, we'd be like, they'd be running down the street and, you know, throwing off their clothes going, that guy's crazy, right? You know, say it, the love, but be loving according to your normal cultural norms of how loving you are or how harsh you are to be in your culture. Again, don't hold back hard truths of the Bible, but don't give them to them uh, kissy-poo, you know, dancing through tulips discipleship either. That's not the way. But according to how you handle hard things and topics in your country, be firm and strong in the ways that you teach and rebuke and train a young babe in Christ. Uh, but let all that you do, title of the sermon, let all that you do be done in love. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for understanding. Lord, your word says get wisdom, get understanding. Lord, we did today. And Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you, Lord God, that... Your word still stands true, Lord God. There's no uh, contradictions and there's no things in your word that we can go, oh, look at that. That's, 
that's this. The Bible says this. There's, there's something that's wrong, Lord God, because your word is never wrong, Lord God. And we go all the way back to even, uh, it, the Jews weren't just like that in Jesus' day. We go all the way back to Abraham, Lord. We go all the way back to David, Lord. We look at the things that they did and look at how the ways that they interacted with their own Jewish brethren, and we find the same thing. We find the same ways that they interacted, and praise you, God. Thank you, Lord God. But, but Lord, we know, Lord God, again, one of the other things, Lord, you had it on my heart, Lord, that I do truly hope that all that are listening to me today, all over the world, Lord God, uh, take heed to as well too, Lord God, is that those that are truly saved and ought to walk just as Jesus walked, Lord, to do the things and handle the things the way he did them, Lord God. And, and yet, although I don't believe that in most cultures in the world we should say, get behind me, Satan, when a, a young child of God sins, but Lord, I do believe that, Lord, help us to be more brave in a loving way to do tell them that they did sin and that is not appropriate before God and that they ought to repent because that is not doesn't make God happy. And because if you are a child of God, Lord, if we are children of God, we should seek to do things that please you. Lord, please help us to always do things that please you. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. May these words sit in the hearts of those that listen to them all over the world and here in our home in McKinney. And Lord, may they take root and may they grow, Lord God, and may they produce much good fruit for your kingdom. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.